archaeologists have uncovered the remnants of a little fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And they say that it is Capernaum. In fact, they are absolutely convinced it is Capernaum, so much to say that if there is an authentic location in the Holy Land, this truly may be it. They say this is the site. They have excavated the foundations of the buildings. They have found uh, synagogues. They have found houses where people live. They've found shops. But the center of this story today is that they have actually felt like they have located the place where Peter, where Simon Peter and his wife and his mother-in-law and his brother Andrew, where they live. Now, this is incredible, incredible that a site could be chosen not simply by religious persons who have come there on a journey uh, seeking to be connected with God, but that the archaeologists, the scientists that are studying in the area would agree, yes, this is the actual location. How do they know that? They know it because there is the tradition through the years of the church having built structure after structure on it. In fact, if they go back to a certain level, you can find that there is a Byzantine church that was built there around 300 A.D. And it is octagonal, as are so many of the structures early on. Why eight sides for a church? You know, some of you, that seven is the number of completeness. In the Bible, you hear that used over and over again. You know what the number eight is then? Eight is beyond completeness. It is absolute perfection. Really, if you get down to thinking about it, the Sabbath Sunday for us, which is the Sabbath for us, is a day number eight. It is, of course, the first day of the week, but it is the eighth day on the calendar. If you think about it in this way, the day on which our Lord was resurrected that we celebrate on this day, a day of perfection. On this site, it's incredible to think that worship may have been going on for years and years and years in this holy place where Jesus himself may have been. The Franciscans have come in more recently and they have built a sanctuary over the structure that actually has a glass floor. It hovers over the place so that those who are worshiping inside the sanctuary can actually look underneath them and see the foundations of the churches that have worshiped before. Everything, though, when you go there today is static very quiet, very reverent, not like Capernaum was in Jesus' day. This was a bustling village. You know the stories of how Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. This was their livelihood, and they were caught up in it as so many were there in town. 
there were people that were coming and going. In fact, the Roman government knew that this was a place of commerce, and so they sent one primary representative there to be the tax collector. You remember a man named Matthew? This was where he lived. In fact, if you get down to the list of Jesus' disciples, you'll see that many of them, if not most of them, came from Capernaum. It's an incredible thing to think about Jesus gathering those around him. Much activity in the thriving community. But the thing that impresses me as we are considering the scripture today is that Jesus was so surrounded by sickness and tragedy from the very beginning of his ministry. Because he brought healing, he was surrounded by sickness. When Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, she was in bed with a fever. Don't know what that fever might have been. There's a mystery to all things that are labeled illness in the Scripture. We can only imagine. And yet you can imagine very well, can't you? Haven't you been sick before yourself? Haven't you been in bed with a fever? Haven't you felt to yourself, I don't want to be here. In fact, I feel so sick, I wish I would die. Somebody just do something and put me out of my misery. Have you ever been there before? All of us have this common, common understanding of what it feels to be really sick because we have been there at some point in our lives, or have had family members and friends who have been there as well. She was sick. Jesus saw the situation. Some people misunderstanding and reading the scripture wrongly might think that it was sort of a chauvinistic thing that Jesus would heal her so that she could get up and serve him. I mean, think about this, though. Jesus is the one that was constantly telling his disciples I have not come in order to be served, but to serve. He got down on his knees. He washed the feet of his disciples. He wasn't interested in being served as much as he was interested in restoring her peace. You've heard me speak of Sue's mother before, Margaret Bullington, this saintly woman who has this desire to serve. When we go down to Broxton, she will load the table for the meals with all kinds of good food. But what I've learned in sitting there at her table is that she is watching like a hawk, watching like a hawk. It's not enough. It is not enough to simply put the food on the table and allow people around the table to eat it when they are ready to eat it. Oh, I will have the last few beans off my plate headed toward my mouth when I will hear her from across the table, you need more beans? You know people like this, right? A little more roast beef. How about some pear preserves for that biscuit? You want some pear preserves, don't you? It is her calling in life to serve. And can you think about this? Jesus blessed this precious woman with healing and restored her to be able to do 
what she wanted to do to serve. Well, when she was healed, word circulated fast. And all, it says all those that in the area, all of those were brought who were sick and possessed with demons. Capernaum not being a large town, but yet still having a good many folk and it would have had a number of people that were sick and quote-unquote possessed by demons that were dealing with all kinds of mental illnesses and things that were uh, unexplainable in that day. And they brought these by by the, the great numbers so that it actually filled the houses where Jesus would go. Uh, there was one man that was before Jesus that Mark tells of who was covered with sores. He was filled with leprosy. And when he spoke to Jesus, he said, if you choose, you can make me well. And Jesus, I can't help but think he smiled and said, I do choose, be well. And remarkably, this miracle of healing occurred. Isn't it amazing to think about? My favorite story in all of the book of Mark is this story that I learned when I was a child about these four individuals who brought their friend who was paralyzed. And when they realized that they could not get into the house where Jesus was because there were so many people that were crowded in there, they just carried him up on the roof. You know this story, don't you? They carried him up on the roof. They tied ropes. They improvised in some way to this mat that he was on, and they tore away the roof, lowered him down. Can you imagine him hovering there in midair and being lowered down into the room where Jesus is sharing? And there he is before Jesus. And Jesus first forgives him, and people took issue with Jesus' authority to be able to forgive. And he said, well, in order that you don't miss the point, let me also heal the man. Why don't you pick up your mat and walk, go home? And the man walked out of the place. Incredible, incredible story. Do you remember the man that Jesus healed who had the withered hand? I don't know exactly what a withered hand is, but I have seen some people who have been crippled so long that their hand, their arm is of no use whatsoever before for them. And so can you imagine Jesus restoring a hand and an arm to its full strength? Jesus was working these miracles. He traveled out from Capernaum and went across the Sea of Galilee on a little boat when he arrived at the other side, it was near a cemetery in which was living a man who was deranged. He, as the scriptures say, was possessed by a demon. He was beside himself, but he had the good sense as he stood before Jesus to say, I know who you are, you're the son of God. And Jesus cast the demon out from this man and healed his life, brought to him Shalom, that peace that we were talking about just a little bit ago with the children. And then we come to this story. Perhaps Jesus was back in Capernaum. It says that he had traveled back 
across the Sea of Galilee. And Jairus, this temple leader, was at the point of being completely broken when he came to Jesus and said, my daughter is at the point of death. Jesus immediately began walking in her direction. Jesus was on the road when an interruption came to that journey. Someone reached out and touched the edge of his cloak, and he knew it. His disciples around him, when he said, someone touched me, were saying to him, you have a crowd, a throng around you. Everybody is touching you. People are reaching out to touch you, Jesus. But he had known that something particularly important had happened. And when he turned, she admitted that she was the one. And he healed her of all of her distress and to that illness that had kept her at such a distance from society. When people reached out to him, he healed them. Even at the point of death, this young girl who had lost the very breath of life, he worked his miracle in order to bring back to life. Illness can be brutal. And some of you know that firsthand. You've experienced it in your life. Even if you haven't experienced it in your life, you have perhaps known family or friends who have experienced brutal illness. One of the things about being a pastor is that we get to celebrate things with people. Uh, This past week, I was in the hospital celebrating a precious baby that has been born into our church family. Just so very precious. Connor was so completely alert. You should have seen him. You will get to see him one of these days soon. But he was so alert, eyes wide open, looking all around looking all around just to see, peering out into this new space, a celebration. And I have these celebrations all the time. I had that same experience with a little precious one just a couple of weeks before that. These celebrations are wonderful. I celebrate with persons that come to me that ask to be married. High moments of celebration. But you know that a pastor's role is also to be with people in their suffering. And Lord knows I've been with people in their suffering in more occasions than I'll ever remember. I do remember some very difficult times. An infant who was dealing with a brain tumor was needing surgery. It was very critical surgery. And the child only lived a few days following it. It was such a sad occasion with the parents. The child was lost. And yet in the midst of it, Jesus was present for them as well. And they found 
shalom. Illness can be brutal. I knew a lady with leukemia, slowly eaten away by that disease. I knew a lady with pancreatic cancer. In fact, I can remember that she was in such pain, this had metastasized to all parts of her body. And she would scream out. As a young seminarian, I went to her bedside and I shared with her, I said, Jesus understands your suffering. I wish somebody had stopped me before I said that. This young seminarian had so much to learn about how to communicate with people in their times of struggle. She looked at me and she said, Jesus didn't have this much pain. Who was I to deny? I mean, I who had carried so little pain at that point in my life and who did not understand the depth of Jesus's. The role of a pastor carries us into the sorrow of the community. The thing that can become disabling is the fear of it all. Fear for our own disabling illness or for the disabling illness of others. Some of you were aware that I was not myself this past fall. Did any of you realize that? From August through November, I was dealing with so much pain that I was completely distracted. I'm doing pretty good now. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, uh, I'm really amazed at it myself. Now, I want to say that this is a miracle. I know that I had a good doctor who was an instrument of God in the process. But I want to give God praise for the healing that he has brought to me and also for the prayers that you have given in order to make this possible. Does God provide this kind of healing in every situation? I wish it would be the case. In fact, there's a part of me that almost feels guilty for feeling good these days. I was walking down here with Jonathan before the 845 service. And I just looked at him because I was remembering there was a time last fall when I could not walk from the office to the sanctuary without having to stop in one of the Sunday school classes and sit down and rest because it hurt too bad. And I said to Jonathan, I said, I said, I feel so well. I feel so well. He said, Bill, your whole countenance has changed. Do you know what that's like? Is there anyone here that has had that feeling for themselves or for a family member? Do you have that sense of, of understanding of 
the potential for us to be purveyors of God's healing grace to others. I have no doubt. I've got a stack of cards that says to me, your prayers were answered in my case. Go back to the story of the man who was let down through the ceiling and into the room. Adam Hamilton says in his writings, he said, maybe it would be good if we considered our role to be stretcher bearers. Think about that just a minute. To be stretcher bearers for those around us who are in need. It's a powerful image. We may not be able to provide the healing, but don't we know who is the greatest potential for our healing? Jesus does still provide miracles in our midst. Do not fail to see yourself as a stretcher bearer. Listen, you remember Oral Roberts, don't you? Oral Roberts, who was so so typed by the healing ministry that he felt the Lord calling him to. But don't you remember that Oral Roberts created this university in which they began to train, to med- train medical doctors into being? Why? Because Oral Roberts believed that all of this is tied together. What the doctors and nurses are doing and what God is doing, all of it is miracle material. You and I are facilitators of the healing power that God can bring into the lives of people that are in need. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Oh, Father, as we come to this place, we remember that you have provided healing, miraculous healing in some instances that is just phenomenal. And we also, Lord, bring to you ourselves and those that are hurting right now, those that are awaiting surgery and those that are recuperating from surgery. We pray for those that are dealing with illness, mysterious illness that seems to be the plague of life. And Father, we lift these up to you, particularly right now, and pray for your healing grace to be at work in them. Oh, Father, heal us. Heal our bodies. Heal our spirits. We wish to be a people at peace. We offer this prayer in Christ's name.